This is Abu Big Bad, the genie of the pop machine. And I'm bad as I ever was. You tuned into Ira Harmon's pop machine, fighting cognitive decline one show at a time on WHPK 88.5 FM, streaming live on the internet at whpk.org. Okay, Simon, what are you wearing right now? Nothing. That's right. And what do people normally wear? Clothes. Exactly. So now Mommy's going to teach you how to dress yourself. Clothes keep us warm, they look good, and if we go out without them, the neighbors will talk. So it's important to know how to get dressed. Here's how it's done. Underwear always comes first, name tag at the back, then pants, then shirt. Get the first button in the right hole, or you have to start all over. If you're wearing a tie, it goes over, round, round, through, and pull tight. Tuck your shirt into your pants and zip up your flap. Socks go in first, then shoes right on right, left on left. With shoelaces, just take the ends, cross them over, switch the loops. The rabbit goes down the hole, pull tight, and you left with bunny ears. I love bunnies. Good to know. Now remember, spots don't go with stripes, socks don't go with sandals, and if you've tucked in your shirt, wear a belt. Got it? Why are your pants on your head? Most parenting is hard to do in just two minutes. But spending just two minutes twice a day making sure they brush their teeth is easier and could help save them from a lifetime of tooth pain. For fun two-minute videos to watch while brushing, visit 2min2x.org. That's 2min2x.org. A message from the Partnership for Healthy Mouths, Healthy Lives, and the Ag Council. I could have had you killed in the swamp. And why didn't you? I thought you less stupid. Usually when a man gets in my way. But you were different. You cost me time, money, effort. You damaged my organization and my pride. I was curious to see what kind of a man you were. I thought there might even be a place for you with Spectre. And I'm flattered. Unfortunately, I misjudged you. You are just a stupid policeman whose luck is run out.
This is Ira Harmon's Pop Machine, the media encyclopedia. Fighting cognitive decline, one show at a time. To the Batmobile, let's go. Atomic batteries to power, turbines to speed. Roger, ready to move out. First Aid Comics, Comics, Comics is where you go to get caught up on heroes from your past and new characters who will inspire you to tell your friends about First Aid Comics, Comics, Comics at 55th Street and Cornell in Hyde Park. Call 1-773-75-COMIC. That's 1-773-75-COMIC. It's the top of the hour here at WHPK 88.5 FM, the pride of the South Side. Statistics indicate that 8 out of 12 Americans will become victims of a crime at least once in their lifetime. Most people think of violent crimes when they think of victims. For frauds, identity thefts, and financial schemes victimize millions of Americans each year. If you or someone you know or love does become a victim of a financial crime or any other type of crime, there are countless professionals and volunteers who stand ready to help. The good news is that there are laws ready to protect victims. The Federal Crime Victims Bill of Rights was created to give victims a proper place in the criminal justice system. Ensure they have the opportunity to be heard and provide assistance to further their recovery process. U.S. Postal Inspectors urge you to learn more about victims' rights and services by visiting www.crimevictims.org. The Super Delicious Cereal presents... The Adventures of Superman! Faster than a speeding bullet! More powerful than a locomotive! Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound! Look! Up in the sky! It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! Discovering that Superman was still alive after his terrific battle with Henry Miller, the Nazi Atom Man, Miller and his sinister ally, Sidney, concocted a diabolical scheme to once and for all eliminate the Man of Steel. Meanwhile, again in possession of his great powers, Superman hurried to the laboratory of Dr. John Millison, a famous scientist, in response to an urgent summons. Millison gave him what appeared to be an ordinary plastic belt, but which was actually an extremely sensitive detector, equipped to warn Superman of the presence of kryptonite, the deadly radioactive element which enables Miller to generate atomic power. Then Superman asked a question the answer to which may mean the difference of life and death to him. Listen. Tell me, Dr. Millicent, will this detector belt warn me of of the Atom Man? Well, I... I think so. You do? Yes, the detector is extremely sensitive. Makes use of a new principle of radar which we perfected just before the war ended. Of course, it won't register at nearly as great a distance as when the element is in its solid form. No, I can understand that. What distance from the Ataman will it register, would you say? Well, for a rough guess, I'd say about ten yards. Ten yards? That's only 30 feet. Yes. It might register at a greater distance, but I wouldn't count on it. 30 feet? That's not much. 
But it might just give me time enough to take him by surprise and tear that box off his throat. That's my only chance to defeat him. What box? He wears a small square metal box over his jugular vein. It has a tiny electronic tube in it and a switch. That box controls his power. I found out that much. Hmm. Sounds like an electronic converter designed to flash an impulse to the kryptonite atoms in his blood, starting on nuclear fission. No, no. It's impossible. He'd explode to bits. Everything he pointed his metal gloves at exploded except me. And he remained very much alive. Impossible. Wait. Did you say he wore metal gloves? Yes, they were meshed metal. Jagged green sparks poured out of the fingers like miniature lightning bolts. Amazing. What was the metal, do you know? I'm afraid I was too busy trying to stay alive to find out. It was gray-white, I can tell you that, with a sort of bluish cast. Those gloves are the secrets. And the converter, of course. I'd certainly like to see them. After my next encounter with the Atom Man, if I'm still alive, I'll bring them to you, Doctor. What makes you think you'll encounter him again? I'm sure I will. He said he intended to destroy me first and then enslave the rest of the world. Well, he knows now that he didn't destroy me. Chances are he's looking for me right now. How can he find you? Nobody knows where you go or, or even who you are. Yes, that's my ace card, my only salvation. Well, I'll be going now, Doctor. I can't tell you how grateful I am. Forget it. I did very little. I only wish I could do more. You did a great deal. It may make all the difference. No, no, don't, don't bother to show me to the door. I'll use your skylight again if you don't mind. Of course not. So long. And thanks again. Goodbye. Best of luck. Up! Up! And away! Leaping through the open skylight, Superman leaves Dr. Millicent's laboratory and streaks away. A short time later, once more in the guise and garb of Clark Kent, he enters the Daily Planet city room and approaches Jimmy Olsen's desk. What? Mr. Kent, what? Well, how? I'm so startled, Jim. But, but you're in Florida. You were awful sick and... and... Are you all right now? Fine, thanks. Well, gee, that's swell. Well, Lois. Well, she's out on a story. Where's Mr. White? <laughs> it's a silly conversation. He's in Florida. Oh, and that reminds me, I'll have to send him a wire. He won't know what happened to me. Oh, well, I guess you're all right again. When you start getting mysterious, it means you're in the groove. Let's hope I am. Jim, have there been any reports on our late friend and colleague, Henry Miller? No, oh, not a one. He just disappeared. Listen, Mr. Kent. Hmm? Did you really mean it yesterday when you said he was the Atom Man? Oh, did I say that? Well, sure you did. Don't you remember? All right. I guess you didn't know what you were saying, huh? Well, one guess is as good as another. I got some things to attend to. I'll see you later, Jim. Oh, now, look, Mr. Ken, don't start clamming up on me again. Why? Well, you know something. I can tell by the way you act. Oh, here, I'll hang your overcoat up. Thanks. Now, if you don't mind, I'd like a little privacy. I've got a call or two to make. But we can have lunch together if you like. Okay. Hey, where'd hmm? you get that snazzy new belt? Oh, <laughs> You like it? Yeah, it's keen. One of those fancy plastic jobs, huh? I guess you could say that. Uh, Jim, send Beanie in, will you? I want to send a wire to the chief right away. He'll be having fits. Okay. What time do you want to go to lunch? Oh, 12.30, 1, whenever it suits you. Well, the earlier the better. You know me. I certainly do. 12.30, then. Check. Right. Ah, let's see. A telegram. Sorry. Had to rush away. Very urgent. Matter. Hi, Mr. Kent. Just a minute, Beanie. I'm finishing a telegram. I'd like you to send it out right away, please. Okay. There's a fat geezer here who wants to see you. A what? Uh, here you are. A fat geezer. Oh? And very, very high claws. <laughs> He's wearing yellow gloves and spots and carrying a cane. Well, what's his name? Sidney. Sidney what? That's all he told me. He says he's got something very important to see you about. All right. Send him in. And make sure that telegram goes at once, Beanie. Consider it done, Mr. Kent. Okay, Mr. Sidney, you can come in. His mind preoccupied with thoughts of the Atom Man, 
Clark Kent looks up indifferently as the fat Sidney, his tiny babyish mouth smiling benevolently in his moonlike face, waddles into the office. Kent is about to receive the shock of his life, so stay tuned in for the startling climax of today's episode. But first, your announcer. You know, gang, there aren't many prizes or such doggone swell prizes that you can get as easy as those new comic buttons that now come in packages of Kellogg's Pet. Why, you don't have to spend a single penny of your allowance, and yet you can have the fun of collecting 18 different buttons, each one with a true-to-life picture of one of your favorite comic strip characters. It's no end of fun to add to your collection every time Mom opens a new package of Pep. Fun to swap duplicates with your pals, too. And mighty exciting to wear all your buttons pinned on your jacket or dress or cap so everybody can see how many you've collected. And did I say these new comic buttons are easy to get? Why, you don't send in any money, not even a box top. All you do is to ask Mom to get you some of that super delicious whole wheat flake cereal, Kellogg's Pep. Then look inside the package for your prize. One of these slick-looking new comic buttons from P.E.P. Pep, made by Kellogg's of Battle Creek. Now back to the adventures of Superman. Sidney, the shrewd master spy who now controls the Atom Man, has just entered Clark Kent's office at the Daily Planet. Placing his Hamburg hat, yellow gloves, and cane on a corner of the desk, he wedges his fat body into a chair and leans uh, forward confidentially. Uh, I'm a retired businessman, Mr. Kent, and for several years I, uh, I've devoted myself to a, to a hobby. I think you'd be interested in this, and I need your cooperation. On what? Why, on uh, my hobby, which I, I have reason to believe is the same as yours. <clears throat> I'm afraid I don't understand. What hobby? Why, uh, Superman, of course. Superman? Yes. Why, why do you look so startled, Mr. Kent? Startled? I'm not startled. Oh, forgive me. I, I, I thought you were. Well, what makes you think Superman is, is my hobby? Well, perhaps I used the wrong word. Perhaps I could say he is my hobby and your work. My work? What do you mean by that? Oh, perhaps nothing. Perhaps a great deal. But <laughs> let me tell you the real purpose of my visit. Yes, please, go ahead. Yes, well, well, you see, I, I'm considering publishing a report of my studies on Superman in, in which I, I would reveal to the world his true identity. His true identity? Of course, you know he has a double identity. He has? Come now, Mr. Kent, you know who he really is. I do? <laughs> Certainly you do. That's why, before I publish my findings and expose his identity... No, no, you, you, I, you can't do that. You can't. Why? Why not? Because, well, you, you, you may be mistaken. I'm you... quite sure I'm not mistaken. Well, you, you may be. You, you must be. And if you published a false report, you'd, you'd cause a great deal of trouble. Yes, I would, wouldn't I? <laughs> I wouldn't want to do that. That's, that's why I want your help. My help? How can I help you? As an expert on Superman, Mr. Kent, I'd like you to look over my documents and photographs and all the other material that I have on the subject. I see. Well, this sounds very interesting, Mr. Sidney. I'd, uh, I'd like to see your documents and other data. Yes, I was sure you would. <laughs> Shall we go now? I have a little place in the country. It's only about an hour's drive. Oh, no, I'm afraid I can't leave just yet, but I have a car and, and well, perhaps this evening. Oh, whatever you say. My place is called Green Meadows. It's on a side road three and a half miles west of Glenville on Highway 33. You'll see a rustic sign saying Green Meadows and a dirt road through the trees. Uh, I'll find it all right. Ah, good, good. Uh, I'll be expecting you then. Goodbye, Mr. Ken. Until tonight. Yes, till tonight. 
Deeply worried, Clark Kent stares at the door through which Sidney waddled from the office and mutters to himself, Does he really know who I am? Or is he only bluffing? If he does know, what's his game? Is it blackmail? I've got to find out how much he knows and keep him from publishing it. If the Atom Man knew Superman was Clark Kent, well, that'd be the end. For me. Yes, Clark. And unfortunately, the Atom Man does know you're Superman. And so does Sidney. Are you going to walk into their trap? Think fast and act fast. Faster than even you have ever thought before. Because once again, your life is at stake. Fellows and girls, don't miss tomorrow's thrilling episode, whatever you do. Tune in, same time, same station, for The Adventures of Superman. Faster than a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. Look, up in the sky, it's a bird. It's a plane. It's Superman. Fellows and girls, be sure to follow the adventures of Superman. Brought to you every day, Monday through Friday, same time, same station, by the grand old Kellogg Company of Battle Creek. And for other thrilling adventures of Superman, see your local newspaper. Superman is also a copyrighted feature, appearing in Superman DC Publications. And now, for a new feature we call Media Mastication. That's Media Mastication. Put that away. Otherwise known as Sound Bites from Around the Media. A collection of what others are saying about a subject on everyone's mind. Welcome back to the Election Center. I'm Jake Tapper. And on CNN, I pass for a bona fide hunk. <laughs> it's been a crazy week in politics, so as tonight's election results continue to roll in, let's take a look back at the past seven days. Donald Trump was endorsed by Governor Chris Christie and dominated Super Tuesday. Here's what he had to say at his celebratory press conference. What a great, great night. I really am running the best campaign, aren't I? The media's saying they haven't seen anything like this, not since Germany in the 1930s. I mean, everyone loves me, racist, ugly racist, People who didn't even know they were racist. People whose eyes are like this. And this guy loves me, don't you? Wait, what's that? Get him out. As I was saying, everyone loves me. I even got this fat piece of crap behind me now. Isn't that right, Chris? Yes, sir, thank you, sir. Please, sir, may I have another? I mean, he really is a sad, desperate little potato back there, aren't you, Chris? Yes, sir. Thank you, sir. Please, sir, may I have another? No. Go get on a plane. Go home. Okay, you got it. Also, P.S. America, I have a great, big, huge dick. All right. Now, viewers, I know this is going to be boring, but let's take a quick look at the Democrats. Tonight is shaping up to be a big night for Bernie, but Hillary Clinton scored big on Super Tuesday. Here's a clip of her thanking supporters. Yes, hello. Hello. Thank you. Uh, I'd just like to say 
Thank the effing Lord! I won seven states tonight, and to celebrate, I bought myself this brand new Stormtrooper coat. And to everyone who voted for me, thank you for trusting that I, Hillary Clinton, can bring this country together. Just like I brought these 10 black people and one Muslim person together behind me tonight for this speech. Yes. Yes. Aren't these people great? They are strong, they're beautiful, and they've all been punched in the nose at a Trump rally. And speaking of Trump, he's on track to become the Republican nominee. So to all of you voters out there who have thought for years, I hate Hillary, I could never vote for her, to you I say welcome. Because <laughs> I've got clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right, and here you are stuck in the middle with me. Powerful speech. Now let's get back to the fun stuff, the Republicans. Tonight's election results are in, and here to talk about his big wins, his big wins is Senator Ted Cruz. Caution, we're about to show his whole face on the screen, so viewer discretion is advised. Hello, Jay! <laughs> Still got me even though I knew it was coming. Happens to everyone. Now, Senator, tonight you beat Trump in both Kansas and Maine, which was a huge upset. That's right, I beat him good. And when I beat someone, it hurts, because I still wear my big, ugly class ring. <laughs> That's right, I'm one of those guys. But you did still lose tonight in Kentucky and Louisiana. And that's okay. I still love those states like they're my own children. And just like my own children tonight, those states said, ew, gross, I hate you. Now, Senator, let's talk quickly about Thursday's GOP debate, which many called crazeballs. Oh. Yes, the debate was so much fun. I talked policy. I laid out my plan for America. And right at the end, I ate a tiny little white booger off my lip. Yes, that was absolutely disgusting. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> All right, thank you, Senator. And finally joining us now, he came out strong against Donald Trump with an unprecedented public address on Thursday. 2012 presidential candidate Mitt Romney. Hello, Governor. Hello, Jake. Hi, Jake. Thanks for having me. Now, that's right, America, I'm back. You didn't ask for it, but you got it. Now, Governor, why have you decided to speak out against Donald Trump? Well, Jake, for the last nine months, I've sat down and watched Donald Trump say something every day that was either racist or sexist. And we in the GOP, the party of the great Ronald Reagan. We do not say racist and sexist things. We imply them. <laughs> subtly over decades and decades of policy. So I felt that I had to take matters into my, my own tanned, well-manicured hands and follow the advice of my favorite rapster, Macklemore. That's right. And I chose to put Donald Trump on blast. America, he's a fool. Four years ago, he endorsed you for president. Like I said, he's a fool. He's a fraud, he's a scam, he's a what, he's a what? He's a flim-flam man. 
Now, if you vote for Donald Trump, and I hate to use a curse word on television, but if you if you vote for him, you're a sucker. Oh, forgive me, Joseph Smith. Oh. Wow, you are pretty riled up. Yeah, gosh darn right I am. And that's why on Thursday, last Thursday, I rolled up my $1,000 monogram sleeves. I took a couple shots of non-alcoholic Kahlua. I did 10 women's push-ups, and then I went out there, and I gave the most aggressive passionate, well-measured, anti-Trump speech I could. And do you think your speech changed the minds of any Trump supporters? I do not. Do you think any Trump supporters even watched? Not on purpose, no. Mm. Do you think your speech hurt Trump at all? Mm. Honestly, I would assume it probably helped him. All right, is there anything you would like to say directly to Donald Trump? Yes, yes, there is. Donald, you're duplicitous, you're reckless, and if you become the Republican nominee, know this, I would make a great vice president. And live from New York, it's Saturday night. Hello and welcome to Justice. I'm Judge Jeanine Pirro. Thanks for being with us tonight. There's an insurrection coming. Mitt Romney just confirmed it. We've watched governors, the National Review, conservative leaders, establishment and party operatives trash Donald Trump. But Mitt Romney will always be remembered as the one who put us over the edge and awoke a sleeping giant, the silent majority, the American people. Fact, the establishment is panicked. Mitt essentially called for a brokered convention where the Republican nominee will be selected by party activists and delegates, irrespective of their state's choice. The call? to vote for whomever has the best chance of beating Donald Trump. You want a brokered convention? A primer, Mitt. Whenever we have one, we lose. Dewey and Ford emerge from a brokered convention to lose the general election. So why? Because the party elites and elders want to protect us and stop us from falling into the abyss? Mitt. I'm sure you and your cronies don't feel this, but most of us working two and three jobs think we're already in the abyss, the Obama abyss, and most of us scared about our safety and security. And you want to prevent us from falling into a recession? We don't believe any of you. That's why outsiders are so strong in both parties, while the insiders seek a brokered convention or superdelegates to guarantee their own positions. You're panicked, not for us, but because you're worried about losing power. The lobbyists, the pharmaceutical companies, the power brokers, the lawmakers who are willing to invest in absurd pensions our children can't possibly pay for for their own short-term political survival. We are sick and tired of legislators with modest means who leave Congress multi-millionaires whose spouses and families get all the contracts from selling the post offices to accessing insider information so they can buy property and flip it. You're so entrenched that you're willing to give Hillary Clinton a win. It doesn't matter to you which party Crony capitalism and its paradigm will not change for the elite. Let the American people suffer along the way. You know, Mitt, if you're so concerned about our country, where were you when Barack Obama lied to us, saying we could keep our health care and our doctor? 
Where were you when the GSA wasted millions of our dollars for stupid conferences? When the military suffered as the VA was run like a piggy bank for corrupt employees. When the IRS went after conservative 501c3 applicants while the Clinton Foundation runs one of the biggest 501c3s in the world, which strikes me as a money laundering organized criminal enterprise parading as nothing more than a shell to pay campaigners and Clinton operatives to secure Hillary's election. And you say you're offended by Donald Trump's language. Politicians have been trashing each other since the Founding Fathers. Language so horrible that I can't even repeat on the air. You're so offended by Trump's language, but not Barack Obama's condemnation of those who cling to God and guns. And you're worried about Donald Trump's businesses? You, Mitt, were a corporate raider who threw people out of work and sent jobs out of our country. And you don't like Donald's temperament and judgment? You couldn't even stand up to CNN's Candy Crowley. You couldn't even get elected when the nation was ripe for a Republican president. And 70 foreign policy security experts say, quote, Mr. Trump's own statements lead us to conclude that as president, he would use the authority of his office to act in ways that would make America less safe and diminish our standing in the world. Are those bozos talking about Barack Obama? And they go on to say that he poses a distinct threat to civil liberties in the United States. Really? I'm worried about the civil liberties of Americans who've had their heads cut off and those killed in workplace violence. Did you criticize that? No. And you want us to vote for Rubio? Why? What has he done? aside from having one of the largest absentee voting records in the history of the U.S. Senate. And you complain about Trump University. Mitt, mind explaining your connection to Full Sail University, which knew how to, quote, hold down the cost of their education, when in truth it was one of the most expensive colleges in America, when the owners were top donors to you through Solomir Capital? Remember, you were an original investor there. And how about Vandertot College, where Ferguson's Michael Brown was about to attend and your pals were about to cash his federal financial loan? Your namby-pamby reason that you won't support Donald Trump even if he's the party's nominee? You worry what you'll tell your grandchildren when they asked, why, Grandpa, didn't you stop Donald Trump? Well, maybe you ought to worry about when they ask about your loss to Barack Obama. What are you going to tell them? Will you tell them that you choked? And I don't care if he supported Democrats, Republicans, or Martians. He was a businessman. And I don't care if he said Putin was a strong leader he could get along with. Hell, Hillary Clinton hit a reset button with Russia. And you're worried about Putin when Barack Obama dances with the devil in Iran? Mitt, I never knew you were such a patriot. And you say Donald's arrogant. He says things that you don't, but things that you think. Your acts are more arrogant than his words. Admit, you lost your own state, Massachusetts, which was the second worst home state loss in presidential election history. And Trump won 49% of Massachusetts. 
Donald Trump is bringing in record numbers of Americans. He's doing more to add to our ranks than any of your anemic get-out-the-vote operations. Yes, there's an insurrection coming. We're fed up. We're sick of the lies, the veils, and the games you talk about immigration. Yet no one has done anything since the last amnesty in 1986. While we continue to pay for education, medication, housing, while families like Kate Steinle's murdered by an illegal deported five times convicted seven times suffer behind backdoor budget hearings. You continue to fund sanctuary cities that thumb their noses at American victims. You talk about overspending and the government and the deficit. It's only gotten bigger. You take our money in the form of taxes, wasted away while you feather your own nest. From Bob Dole to John McCain to you, Mitt Romney, and almost another Bush. The party elite cannot win. Don't be small, Mitt. Remember our history. Remember when we were fed up with a monarchy? Be careful. Be very, very careful. Do not disrespect the man who makes sense to us. Because when you disrespect him, you disrespect the will of the American people. And that's not a good place to be. And that's my open. Tell me what you think on my Facebook page or Twitter. Hashtag Judge Janine. Good evening. Or not. <laughs> Sorry, I, I get nervous when I start a comedy set. I, uh, ah, I find, I find comedy is very similar to sex for me. Um, well, it's exactly like sex when you think about it. You know, just me, the comedian, playing the role of the man, and you, the audience, the role of the woman. Because it's, it's my job to satisfy you. And, and you just have to sit there. <laughs> and then just like sex, my success or failure is somehow determined by how much noise you make <laughs> during my performance. Oh, you're just faking it now, thank you. It's a one-sided affair. Oh, so I hope you aren't the quiet types. <laughs> Oh, no, you were great, really. Yeah. <laughs> Makes it worse when a guy laughs in the middle of it. <laughs> it's not meant to be funny. <laughs> this, is, uh, this is my first time in Australia, and I must say I'm enjoying it. After two days of traveling to get here, I, I finally arrived, and it's... it's uh, quite a quaint place. Um, it wasn't supposed to take me that long. We were delayed. Um, first delay was, was uh, I got to the airport in Johannesburg. I was on a Qantas flight and they said, uh, sorry sir, there's a bit of a delay. I said, how long? They said, 24 hours. <laughs> so that's not a delay, that's cancellation. <laughs> so that's another day. So they said, come back tomorrow. I came back the next day and then we tried it again and this time we were on the plane and there was another delay of about four to five hours where we were stuck on the tarmac and the plane couldn't take off because the aeroplane wasn't balanced. I've never heard of that in my life. <laughs> That's what the pilot said, 
And like, because he's a pilot, we believe him. He just, he just said it. Because the pilot sounds serious when they're saying it. He came on and said, ladies and gentlemen, I've got a bit of a problem on the plane. Uh, kind of what's going on. Seems like uh, it's not uh, balanced. But we'll, uh, we'll have to check on what's going on. And uh, we'll get back to you as soon as we know. And I won't lie. As soon as he said that, I looked at the fat people. But not, not in a bad way, not in a bad way, just in an objective manner, like, hey, you guys, you can't sit together. You need to sit one on, yeah, the plane. Probably you, it's probably you. Speaking of fat people, is Biggest Loser the biggest show in, in Australia? That's all I see on TV, is just the biggest loser. I love that show, it's fantastic. It's always on TV. What a fantastic show. For those who don't know, The Biggest Loser is a show where they, they try and help fat people lose weight uh, through torture, basically. <laughs> yes, both emotional and physical, yeah. They do horrible things like leaving food in the house that they're living in, then ask them why they're eating it. Why did you eat the food, Kevin? Why did you eat the food? Because it was there and he's fat. That's what he does. That's like his specialty. You knew this before he came. Why are you now acting shocked? They should do a show about the people that make the show and call them the biggest assholes. That's what they should say. That show's not helping anybody. I love it. An amazing show, but yeah. So we were flying. So we flew. Uh, so flew from Johannesburg to, to Sydney. Sydney, you come in, um, and then you have to leave the airport and then go back into the airport to fly. Uh, you go through border control. Very friendly. I must say, Australia. I'm very impressed. Very friendly border control. You guys are very chilled out. Very cool. Like visas, not not really like needed. Sort of it is, but not like the. Do you have your visa? No. You know. I learned the secret to getting through uh, from a few Chinese men that were ahead of me is that you just have to irritate the border police and then they just let you in. There's a guy ahead of me and the woman was asking him, excuse me, sir, where are you gonna be staying in Australia? No, where are you staying? He like, kangaroo, kangaroo. Kang no, sir, where are you staying? Kangaroo, kangaroo. No, no, sir, you can't, no, it's not like, where are you gonna be staying? Kangaroo, kangaroo. All right, just go in, just go in, just go. I just came in. He was just like, it was fantastic, it was fantastic, yes. And he had this look when he got to the other side, like it works every time. It just, you know, this knowing look about him. And so we, you come in and, and, and it seems too easy because it is, because the border control is very chilled, but then you get like to the customs, which is the most hardcore place in the world. I don't know what the hell happened in Australia, but you guys need to chill out when it comes to fruit. People are standing there being strip shirts. Where did you get the apple? I don't care if you can't speak English. You're gonna spend a week in quarantine, mate. Where did you get the apple? I don't care, I don't care. Where's the apple from? You see people, it's like, there was a guy that was stopped for weed. Was that marijuana? Well, don't do it again, but you with the apple. Back to where you came from. What, what did fruit do to your country? It's such a weird place getting used to Australia because you finally come in and then you can't understand anybody. You really, really can't because, because like you guys say you speak English, but it's not. It's like you, like you, like you try, but then I couldn't tell. Like sometimes it actually sounds like it's Chinese. I used to hear people making jokes about, oh, there's all these Chinese, but, but then when you come, you don't know if the Australians are Chinese or not Chinese. Like, because it sounds the same to me, especially like a very deep Australian accent. It's very, like, like people say things, oh, yeah, how you go? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 yeah,
I don't know what's going on here, man. This is, this is very, and then the phrases I do understand don't make sense, like, a, like positive phrases, like apparently, apparently she'll be right. I don't know who she is and how she applies to me, but this is very important to say in Australia. Uh, you also feel it's very important to tell everybody that you have no worries. Yeah, this is, I didn't ask you about your life's philosophy. I just asked you how you were on the day. And you, oh, no worries, no worries. Really, not even one, not even one worry? Really, Australia, are things that good here? No, not, not even one, not even prostate cancer, not even one. Or not even North Korea, because those guys are close. I'm just saying, not even, not even one worry. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, the strangest one, and this is something I've learned, which I wish you'd teach people before they come, is uh, the correct answer to the phrase, how you going, is not by aeroplane. I, um, I feel it's strange to ask people this when they are traveling. I was, I was flying with Sydney, and then we were going from to Melbourne, and I got to the counter, and I said to the woman, hi, I'm going to Melbourne, please. And she said, oh yeah, how you going? I said, by aeroplane. That is why I've chosen this building over here to be traveling in. And she said, no, no, I was greeting you. And I said, oh, no worries. You guys have been great. Thanks for having me. Have a good night. Once upon a recent time, a century and a half ago, our cities were filled with only 12% of the human population. Today, that percentage is closer to 90%. That's a lot of people crowded in on top of each other. If you were listening to part one last week, I talked about trash and overcrowding and the biological fact that no organism can live in its own waste. I left you with the image of a wino taking a dump in the bushes. A provocative image, I know, but you weren't likely to forget it. That recent time of a century and a half ago, our cities had the problem of where to put our trash and our sewage. It was right outside our door at our feet. A nice concoction of animal and human waste for you to wade through on your way out for the day. Can you imagine how crazy it would be for people who pay $600 for a pair of Jordan sneakers to step out their door beaming only to step into human and animal feces and get that crud all over their investment? Because just five generations ago, there were no sewers to keep our human output away from our sidewalks. We had to build sewers to keep raw sewage off the sidewalks and out of sight and smell. There was so much disease back then, doctors and scientists thought that it was the funky smell that was causing it. I'm pretty sure the smell made you sick enough to believe that it was causing you to get those diseases, but that wasn't the case as we know today. Now, it took some serious engineering without which we would still be neck deep in filth today, especially due to the fact that our population is now much larger than it was five generations ago. Be fruitful and multiply, the book says. My father used his own term and called the act motherply. An overpopulation is a real mother for you. So, 
wherever people go, we soil and pollute everything in our wake. It's the kind of organisms we are. I mean, you can tell a pest by the waste it leaves behind. That's how you know you've got mice. You see the little black pellets in your kitchen drawers and on the floor or wherever they poop. The telltale sign that you have an infestation is when you find their droppings. If an alien species was trying to find us, all they would have to do is take a look at our waste and they'd know we were here. I think that's how scientists look for life in outer space. You know, we need to see some sign of waste. We need to see any form of excretions, secretions, expectorations, ejaculations, anything that would signal that there's life. Because proof of life is not found in movement of an object. Proof of life is found in the reproduction of an object and the excretion or expulsion of some kind of waste product. You see that, you know you've found life. Well, humans are big time reproducers and producers of waste product. It's an ongoing and ever-growing problem. We go through our lives ignoring the side effects of modern living. Our homes are clean and we keep the ugly side of human infestation out of sight. No, we don't dump where we eat, so to speak. When we first started to put our poop in the water, we didn't fathom that our drinking supply of water would be ruined by dumping our crap in it. I mean, it was the same as taking a cup and dipping it out of an unflushed toilet and then taking a drink. As gross as that sounds, that's in effect what we did when we built our first sewage system. Humans seem to have no natural instinct about what to do with our own poop. It amazes me that we can launch rockets and build the bomb, but we didn't have the intuition not to put poop in our drinking water. Now somewhere in that fact is the truth of what's wrong with society. But we got the poop off the streets and into our drinking water. And soon there was cholera outbreaks and all manner of diseases plaguing city life. But the people down the block who drank beer were spared from getting sick because the process of making beer kills the microbial pathogens swimming around in water. Beer is the second oldest beverage to a glass of clean water. It's ancient, it's biblical, it's old. And the best thing about it is it's poop free. Can you imagine the beer commercials touting that fact? You know, like, new Suds Light, brewed without poop, for that satisfying flavor. Well, guess what city had the biggest poopy sidewalks 150 years ago? Give up? Well, or you guessed it. Chicago, yeah. Chicago was the filthiest town around. We showed the world how to get filthy and how to clean it up. Streets may have been paved with gold, but they were decorated knee-deep in crud. It took an engineer by the name of Ellis Chesborough to figure out how to raise the buildings and build sewer drains up under them. It was a huge project, the kind he liked. And it was the only way to do it because Chicago is so flat that it would be totally, totally prohibitively expensive to build a sewage system here. But he did it. He borrowed the jack screw from the railroad companies where they were used to lift heavy locomotives and put thousands of these jack screws to work lifting Chicago up 
building by building, block by block, to create our sewer system, because you had to angle the pipe toward the sewers. Of course, as I stated earlier, even though this cleaned the streets, it muddied the water. It solved one problem, and it created another. There were about 370 million people on planet Earth after the Great Famine and the Black Plague scrubbed out the human population. Today, as of numbers collected in 2011, the count of the human population is at 7.125 billion butts pooping all over Mother Earth. And that's not counting all the animals and fish in the sea. Earth is a shitty place. Total number of humans who ever lived is estimated at 100 billion. Now, if science ever cracks that immortality fantasy, we're going to have to populate the solar system just to get by. There just ain't enough room on planet Earth for 100 billion people. Hell, there's not enough room for 18 billion, which is where they predict we're headed. Twice the number of people on the planet today are going to seriously strain the resources. But that's a story for another day, and we'll continue with the ZPG, whatever happened to zero population growth, next week. It gets intense. to be a bad word. <laughs> Welcome to Nerd News. As you probably already know, Chicago Comic and Entertainment Expo C2E2 will be kicking off from March 18th through the 20th in the South Building at McCormick Place and Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice will be in theaters on March 25th, which is a short time from now and a couple of weeks away. So, you might want to save the date and save some popcorn money. Now, what this blotter item is about is Batgirl, the comic book, Batgirl issue number 49. I was cruising the internet and found on IGN.com's website an article which asks the question, is DC changing this iconic Batman story? Most of what I am about to read to you is written by Jesse Shadeen, who is a writer for IGN. Okay, spoiler alert, if you don't want to know what's going to happen in this issue, then you probably should pay close attention. And it goes something like this. The current Batgirl storyline revolves around Barbara Gordon's clash with the Fugue. The Fugue is a villain who has invaded her mind and altered her memories to make her believe that he's actually a childhood friend named Greg. Now, this issue saw Barbara's friend Frankie travel into her brain and try to set things right. Frankie teamed up with the digital copy of Barbara Gordon that previously appeared in Batgirl number 40, and together the two pursued Fugue across Barbara's memories, kind of like a fantastic voyage of a cerebral type. As the chase unfolded, it became clear that Fugue was inserting other false memories into Barbara's mind, including one where her father discovered her secret identity and accidentally 
fell to his death. One key page showcased a variety of false and happy memories, one of which featured an image of the Joker from Alan Moore and Brian Boland's graphic novel, Batman the Killing Joke. Okay, taken at face value, this page seems to suggest that the killing joke never actually happened and that Barbara's entire ordeal with Joker was nothing more than a nightmare created by Fugue. Artist Babs Tarr lent fuel to that fire when she tweeted the following. Babs to the bone, at Babs Draws, on Twitter. She says, this isn't the first time the current Batgirl creative team have worked to distance Barbara Gordon from the killing joke. The series was the source of a minor controversy last year when DC revealed and then promptly canceled a grisly variant cover that paid homage to the killing joke, remember? And featured Batgirl being held captive by the Joker. Now that was kind of a grisly cover. I remember it from last year. It started some controversy, you know, with the uh, attack of a woman on the cover of a comic book. And it was kind of grisly, but, you know, it's for adults. That's no excuse, though, so don't write me. However, actively removing the killing joke from continuity would be a significant change in direction for DC. The graphic novel has had a huge influence on the direction of the character, both during her tenure as Oracle and in the current series as she regained the use of her legs and struggled to move past that trauma. Retconning the story also wouldn't explain why Barbara was paralyzed for so long and why Batman, Joker, and many other characters recall the events of the killing joke. Co-writer Cameron Stewart was a little less conclusive about whether the killing joke is still part of DC continuity when he tweeted about the Batgirl number 49. Now that we're a few days out from it, a thought on Batgirl 49. I'm often interested in ambiguity as a narrative device. One of the things we intended for this issue was for it to be read in several ways, depending on your own interpretation and or preference. I believe that an individual's subjective interpretation of a work of art can matter as much as the artist's intent. What does an image mean to you specifically? How do you interpret it based on your own set of experiences? There's no right or wrong answer. This is, I think, an unusual concept for the superhero genre, where material is often strictly deemed canonical or real or not. There's no right and no wrong way to read that page. It is what it is to you. We deliberately set it up that way. If you want to read it as retcon, you're welcome and encouraged to do so. If you want the timeline as is, you are also encouraged to do so. Your own personal truth in this story is what we want you to take from it. How you read that page is how it is. Well, at the very least, fans now have the option to disregard the killing joke if they choose. That graphic novel will remain in the spotlight, though, as it'll soon be adapted into an animated movie featuring Kevin Conroy and Mark Hamill reprising their iconic roles as Batman and Joker, respectively. We'll hopefully find out more about this state of Barbara Gordon's mind and what the future holds in store when Batgirl number 50 is released on April 6th. And as you know, here on Nerd News, we always announce 
at least 12 titles that will be on the shelves on Wednesday at a local comic collector shop near you. And now, here's a little blurb about the upcoming Killing Joke animated movie. Hey everybody, Max here for IGN News. The next animated film from DC, Batman the Killing Joke, will add to the story of the original 1988 graphic novel. According to comicbook.com, executive producer Bruce Timm said that there was not enough material to make a full-length film. Tim explained, The one big difference about it, as opposed to those other projects, meaning The Dark Knight Returns Part 1 and Part 2, is The Killing Joke, the source material, is really not long enough to make an entire feature film out of, so we actually had to add a lot more story to it. Which is tricky, but I think we came up with a really good solution on how that worked. The Killing Joke will premiere at San Diego Comic-Con, which runs from July 21st to 24th this year. We'll be there, will you? The new animated feature was announced at Comic-Con last year amidst rumors that Mark Hamill will voice the Joker. For more on Batman The Killing Joke and the rest of the DC Universe, cinematic, animated, or otherwise, stay tuned to IGN. You know, it's this is a funny age where people are famous for not particularly any reason other than they managed to get famous and then after a while uh, their fame is insignificant so they find themselves desperately just out there on the cusp doing stupid stuff. Cat Williams for instance uh, uh, this is the story about Cat Williams uh, as told by TMZ it all went down Sunday night at the Trucadero Theater where Beanie Siegel and Jalil Beats and Jada Kiss and a few other rappers were performing. Williams was all over the place, freestyling on stage, randomly doing push-ups and standing around in a fight stance for no reason. Williams suddenly ran full speed at someone on stage and clocked him. But the dude he decided to attack had a loyal entourage and they beat him down. There's a clip, uh, it's not much to see, you see Williams uh, standing like he's in starter blocks, about to run a sprint. And then he runs up and throws a right forearm or elbow into this guy's face. And the guy catches Williams because Williams isn't a big guy. So he just catches him and rolls with the punch. And then his entourage closes in and, you know, they kick him and stomp him. Now, it seems to me that if you're uh, doing well in your career, and making money, uh, you would have maybe some personal security that would not let you get uh, stomped. So uh, little cat was on the floor covering up, getting kicked in the head. And someone mitigated the situation, but what's wrong with this dude? I don't know. Like I say, when you get to uh, where you think you want to be, fame, fortune, whatever, and find out that without significance involved, then it's all shallow. That can be a hard thing to swallow. You've done all that work and taken all that time and effort, and you got there, and there's nothing to show for it. It's an empty feeling. So some people can handle it, and some people just go batshit crazy. Or I should say cat shit crazy. Well, there's more nerd news to come right after this message. You're listening to Ira Harmon's Pop Machine, streaming live on whpk.org. This is the sound of salmonella gyrating on your undercooked chicken. And it looks like mom might be taking it out a little early. 
Don't let salmonella get funky with your chicken. On average, one in six Americans will get a foodborne illness this year. So use a thermometer to cook each type of meat to the right temperature. Keep your family safe at foodsafety.gov. Brought to you by the USDA, HHS, and the Ad Council. There are three ways to listen to the pop machine on WHPK Online. Number one, whpk.org. Number two, iTunes. Go to college section and scroll down until you see WHPK. Number three, the TuneIn Radio app at www.tunein.com. There is a fourth way. Go to thepopmachine.net and there you can download or stream any of the shows broadcast up to this point. <laughs> Who's that? You must be new. That is Bruce Wayne. Mr. Wayne, Clark Kent, Daily Planet. What's your position on the Bat Vigilante in Gotham? Civil liberties are being trampled on in your city. People living in fear. He thinks he's above the law. Daily Planet criticizing those who think they're above the laws. Oh, hypocritical. What'd you say? Considering every time your hero saves a cat out of a tree, you read a puff piece editorial about an alien. You could burn the whole place down. Most of the world doesn't share your opinion, Mr. Wayne. Maybe it's the Gotham City in me. We just have a bad history with freaks dressed like clowns. Wayne meets Clark Kent. I love it. I love bringing people together. How are we? Lex. Hi, hello. Lex, it is a pleasure. Ow, wow, that is a good grip. You should not pick a fight with this person. You know the oldest lie in America, Senator? That power can be innocent. You're gonna go to war. That son of a bitch brought the war to us. You know you can't win this. It's suicide. The greatest gladiator match in the history of the world. Son of Krypton versus Bat of Gotham. You're psychotic. That is a three-syllable word for any thought too big for little minds. It's time you learned what it means to be a man. If I wanted it, you'd be dead already. If man won't kill God, the devil will do it. What have you done? But it seems to me that when the ads for Batman versus Superman were designed to have the combatants in profile, 
it just shows off how mean Ben Affleck's Batman looks compared to Henry Cavill's Superman. And I know what's given the ad that effect, too. It's the difference in the strength of their chins. Across from that lantern jaw of Ben Affleck, Henry Cavill just doesn't measure up. Seems that Superman should have just as ample a jawbone as Batman's. Super or not, it just looks like one punch to that fragile looking jaw from Batman and it slights out Superman. I'm just saying. How did they make this casting decision? It's like they could have put Wally Cox or Don Knotts in the Superman costume and got the same effect in my humble opinion. When you see that image and you can find it just about everywhere, take a look and see if you think Ben Affleck outchins Cavill. There's a lot more chin music coming from Batman than Superman. Those posters don't make me feel like I'd get my money's worth in a combat situation between those two. I'm just saying. See what you think. Okay, let's get into the comics that will be on the shelves tomorrow at the comic shop that you like to go to. But before I get into that list, there are 10 graphic novels that if you've got the time and the money, and time and money are always short, to read these 10 before you go to see Batman versus Superman coming up on the 25th of this month. The first book you should probably check out in the list is JLA Volume 1. JLA Volume 1. Legendary writers Grant Morrison and Mark Millar brought the Justice League of America to life in the 1990s with the classic stories collected in JLA Volume 1. See the world's greatest superheroes team up to stop an alien menace and find out more about the dynamic behind this unusual collection of Earth's champions. Second graphic novel is Batman The Dark Knight Returns. Ben Affleck promises to be a darker Batman than we've seen on film before and the influences of Frank Miller's groundbreaking Batman or The Dark Knight Returns are clear. Miller's Batman is older and less forgiving of his old age, but as enemies rise out of the darkness he is forced to come out of retirement and take down the threats that face his beloved Gotham in a blaze of glory. In a finale that was groundbreaking when it premiered, he faces off against a godlike Superman in a battle that only one can survive. Graphic novel number three, Batman Hush. The noir feel that Zack Snyder brings to the DC Comics movie universe is reflected in one of the comics' most iconic modern stories, Batman Hush, responsible for introducing an all-new villain into the Dark Knight's world. Hush comes to life thanks to the superstar team of Joseph Loeb and Jim Lee, a tale full of murder, mystery, and romance. This graphic novel helped to bring Batman back to his Dark Knight roots. Graphic novel number four, Wonder Woman, volume one, Blood. Wonder Woman is making her feature film debut in Batman vs. Superman. But how does this Amazonian warrior princess fit into the world of these two comic book titans? Ben Azzarello and Cliff Chiang update the classic character for DC's New 52 in Wonder Woman Volume 1, giving fans a new introduction to an oft-neglected part of the DC Comics trinity. We're up to graphic novel number 5, Batman Superman Volume 1, Crossworld. Batman and Superman have been friends, rivals, and everything in between, and now fans can learn how the two biggest heroes met for the very first time. 
Greg Pak and Jai Lee take the Man of Steel and the Dark Knight on a mysterious journey to an alternate world in Batman Superman Volume 1, bouncing between their encounters as children and their modern day adventures and featuring Lois Lane, Catwoman and Wonder Woman, this collection gives a glimpse into the history between these two mighty heroes. Graphic Novel Number 6, Injustice, Gods Among Us, Volume 1. Batman vs. Superman isn't the first time that these heroes have faced off against each other, and in the comic adaptation of the hit video game, the whole DC Comics universe gets involved in the brawl. Injustice, Gods Among Us, Volume 1, details the story of the hit fighting game about an alternate reality Superman gone rogue and the group of unlikely allies who team up to stop his reign of terror. The seventh graphic novel on the list is Superman Wonder Woman, Volume 1, Power Couple. Fans will have to wait to see if romance can bloom in the midst of battle, but in the pages of Superman Wonder Woman, Volume 1, one of the most powerful couples in comics is taking on their enemies together. For two of the most powerful beings on Earth, love can be complicated, and as the Man of Steel and the Amazonian Princess fight villains and each other, they will find that love can truly be a battlefield. Superman Batman Volume 1 brings up book number 8. It's an all-star team-up. Superman Batman Volume 1, the titular heroes must unite against the threat of Lex Luthor and his hit squad tacked with bringing Superman to him dead or alive. Featuring the arrival of Supergirl and the battle against the evil villain Darkseid. This collection has everything. And the final two graphic novels that you should read before you see Batman vs. Superman Dawn of Justice on March 25th is Justice League Volume 1 Origin. Batman vs. Superman is setting up the building blocks for the larger DC Comics movie universe and it all leads up to the ultimate team up in the Justice League film. Get to know the heroes before they show up on the big screen in Justice League Volume 1. From two of comics' biggest superstars, Jeff Johns and Jim Lee, Batman has found a new threat he can't face on his own, and so he unites Superman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, Aquaman, The Flash, and Cyborg to become the world's greatest heroes. And last but not least, Luthor. Jesse Eisenberg joins the DC Comics movie universe in Batman vs. Superman as one of comics' biggest villains and takes on the duo of heroes head-on. In Brian Azzarello and Lee Bermejo's modern classic, Luthor, fans can find out the other side of the story and see just how far Lex Luthor will go to take down the alien threat of Superman. And now on to the regular comics and graphic novels that will be hitting the shelves tomorrow. Starting with Harrow County, number 10, published by Dark Horse. A malevolent serpent sows madness and malice into the town's residents, and there's only one way to stop it. But the shadowy, lovely Belfont's motivations are far from pure, and an alliance could spell doom for Bernice and the entirety of the town. 399 tomorrow. From DC Comics comes Detective Comics number 50. Jim Gordon faces his past in this extra-sized conclusion to his most shocking cold case yet, with history itself forcing him to reflect on the last year as Batman, Gordon must make a decision about what his future holds in Gotham City. 499 on shelves tomorrow. Action Comics number 50 from DC, Clark, 
battles his way through Vandal Savage's hordes to reclaim what is rightfully his, the Fortress of Solitude, and his birthright. This epic anniversary issue leads to the finale of Savage Dawn in this month's Superman Wonder Woman number 27 and Superman number 50, 4.99 on shelves tomorrow. IDW Publishing has a one-shot, X-Files Deviations. In a world where young Fox Mulder was abducted by aliens and never returned, another Mulder takes up the crusade against deception. Meet Samantha Mulder, a believer who won't stop until she finds out the truth about her brother. 4.99 tomorrow. Image Comics has Descender, number 11. Machine Moon Conclusion. Tim, 21, discovers the secret at the heart of the robot resistance, and it will change the course of his quest forever. On shelves tomorrow for $2.99. For Marvel comes Doctor Strange, number 6. The Last Days of Magic starts now. The Empirical have arrived, leaving universes purged of magic in their wake. Their next target, the Marvel Universe. And with Doctor Strange weakened beyond measure, we don't have a chance. Rated T plus, $4.99 tomorrow. From publisher Joe Books Incorporated comes Disney Princess Comic Number One. Disney's beloved heroines have returned in this hilarious collection of Disney Princess comic strips, featuring laugh out loud stories from the worlds of Ariel, Belle, Rapunzel, Tiana, Cinderella, Aurora, and more. This charming new ongoing series will make all of your royal dreams come true. Suggested retail price is $2.99. You'll find it on shelves tomorrow. Now, on to the graphic novels. Batman and Robin Eternal, trade paperback volume 1 from DC Comics, of course. Not many years ago, Batman and Robin worked the most disturbing case of their crime-fighting careers, bringing down the organization of the human trafficker known only as Mother. At the time, Dick Grayson did not understand the scope of that case, but now its darkest secrets are coming back to haunt him and everyone else who ever worked with Batman. Collects Batman and Robin Eternal, numbers 1 through 12, plus the 8-page story from Batman Endgame Special Edition number 1. In shops tomorrow, suggested retail price $29.99. From IDW Publishing comes My Little Pony Friendship is Magic Trade Paperback Volume 9, an enigmatic new foe brings together some of the most villainous characters in Equestria to attack the Crystal Empire and siege of the Crystal Empire. Collects issues number 34 through 37. Suggested retail price $17.99. From Image Comics comes Tokyo Ghost Trade Paperback Volume 1 Atomic Guard. Special low introductory price of $9.99. The Isles of Los Angeles 2018. Humanity is addicted to technology. Getting a virtual buzz is the only thing left to live for, and gangsters run it all. Who do these gangsters turn to when they need their rule enforced? Constables Led Dent and Debbie Decay are about to be given a job that will force them out of the familiar squalor of LA and into the last techless country on earth, the Garden Nation of Tokyo. Collects Tokyo Ghosts, number one through five. Marvel Comics brings the trade paperback Thors. The Thors of every battle world domain united as one. 
Whenever there's trouble anywhere on Battle World, the Thors bring the thunder as Doom's lightning welding cosmic cops. But a string of mysterious murders leaves some of them asking questions that may unravel all of reality. Thor as you know, including Ultimate Thor, Beta Ray Bill, and the Odin Son himself, team with Thor as you don't know, say hello to Groot Thor, and place their lives on the line to hunt the killer. But will a surprising suspect help uncover the truth or offer only lies? It's a hard-hitting Marvel Comics police drama with hammers. If it were a TV show, it would be called Thor and Order. Plus, an all-time classic, relive the green-skinned glory of the original Frog of Thunder. Collecting Thors from 2015 number 1 through 4 and Thor from 1966 number 364 through 365. Rated T plus. Suggested retail price number 1599. Suggested retail price is $15.99. And that's gonna do it for Nerd News on March 8th, 2016. Tune in next week. We will be back. And stay nerdy, my friends. <laughs> Something to think about. In Star Trek, the transporter moves you from one spot to another, saving on shuttle fuel and special effects budgets. In-universe, it's the safest way to travel. Yes, sometimes two guys die horrible mutilated deaths under rare circumstances, but trillions of individuals transport to work every morning without a hiccup. But what if the transporter isn't as safe as claimed? What if the death rate isn't point almost nothing percent, but 100 percent, because the transporter is a suicide box. First, how does the transporter work? There are technical manuals with pages and pages of hilariously over-specific details that yet say so little. Star Trek is nothing if not consistently inconsistent, but taking the most common elements, first the transporter scans you down to the quark, takes apart your atoms, and sends the pieces of you to the destination for reassembly. But is it you on the other end, or a copy that thinks it's you? Well, who is you? That's a hell of a big question, but let's try to be good scientists about it. We don't assume there's a magic part of you that can't be measured. After all, if it can't be measured, that means by definition it can't affect anything. So Occam's razor it away and we take you as you seem to be, a collection of atoms arranged to think they're you. And because the arrangement of atoms in post-transport you is exactly the same as pre-transport, you must be you. Case closed. But you might still have this nagging feeling that your experience of stepping into the transporter will be a funny sound, a bright light, then nothingness eternal. While down on the planet, a brand new life, complete with all your memories up to the moment before your death, popped into existence and assumed it's you. How could it otherwise? It lives a life as short as the mission, and a new creature with the memories of you both makes it back to the ship. If true, multiply this by all the life forms in all the ships in all the star systems, and this transport technology is a silent 
Holocaust, which makes an average episode of Trek rather grim watching, and it's a small mercy when a crew member takes the turbo lift rather than site-to-site -site transport. But again, the measurements check out, so perhaps we're being paranoid and we're already late for our holiday on Ryza, so just step inside already. But atom reassembly is the optimistic version and can't be how the transporter really works, because sometimes accidents combine two crew into one or split one into two. There aren't enough atoms in you to make a second you, so the transporter has to be turning atoms into energy and energy into atoms. You are destroyed, used to charge a battery, then recreated anew. This really seems like death, but the philosophy majors in the room are dying to bring up the ship of Theseus now, so fine. You take this ship on an adventure. As parts get worn, you replace each until eventually no piece is original. When you return, is the ship of Theseus still the same ship of Theseus you left on? Seems so. And this is what your body does daily via eating, bringing in new atoms, and excreting, losing atoms. Compare to the Cuddy Sark, a colonial tea ship burned down and restored with new parts. Is it still the same Cuddy Sark? The result is the same, all new parts, only the time it took is different. If you're happy ship of Theseusing through life, as you already do, then getting Cuddy Sarked by transport shouldn't matter, right? However, step into a working transporter with a broken disassembler and death is revealed. Pre-transport and post-transport you can disagree on who is you. And when Scotty tells pre-transport you, sorry, the disassembler's broken, give us a minute to fix it, you aren't going to wait around. That a copy of you made it to the destination is no consolation. The transporter has to be a suicide box. Okay, so why worry about the metaphysical implications of fictional technology? Because the transporter points us to the problem of consciousness. We were quick to cut out the idea of the unmeasurable before because everything we can measure about the copy is identical. But there is something unmeasurably different. The transporter forces confrontation with the possibility that there's something about being a conscious creature that isn't measurable from the outside. Did we not contain conscious brains ourselves, how would we know that other brains are conscious? Truth be told, you can really only know that you are conscious, and it seems polite to give other people the benefit of the doubt. But were a computer to claim that it was conscious, how would you know? Your continuous stream of consciousness is your life, and you are the only one who can experience it, who can know if it exists and if it is continuous. And transporters are scary because they cause breaks in that consciousness, making a copy that lives the life that you have left with no one the wiser, with no one able to be wiser. And while transporters aren't real, breaks in consciousness are. If you go for surgery when they put you under, you can't be sure if it's you that woke up. For that matter, your bed might be a suicide machine. Every night's slip into unconsciousness, the warm embrace of the reaper. And every morning, the first and only day of a new creature's conscious life. It's impossible to know. Sleep well tonight. Still here? You can't stay awake forever. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm your DJ.
Burned by the fire we make 
You're listening to Ira Harmon's Pop Machine. The first one million listeners will win an all-expenses-paid trip back through time to an epic of their choice. Well, that's going to bring us up to the end of the third hour, and that's the end of the Pop Machine for this Tuesday of this day of this year. Before I go, I'd like to give a shout-out to Rhonda Norman in New York. Brooklyn's in the house. Thanks, Rhonda. And I'd like to say to you all, rebuild your thinking from passive and cynical to optimistic and energetic. Take possession of your mind and your attitude because those are the only things that you have complete and absolute control over. And until next week, remember the pop machine is here from noon till three on Tuesdays at WHPK 88.5 FM, the pride of the South Side. You can also catch the show streaming worldwide on the internet, iTunes, and the TuneIn Radio app, or you could go to thepopmachine.net. Thepopmachine.net is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all year. One to beam up, Scotty. I'm Tiffany. I have some tips for you on how to quit smoking like I did. First, I did some reading about it. I found a lot of great advice on how to quit smoking and picked out the ways I thought would work best for me. I started by setting a quit date. Then I threw out my ashtrays, lighters, and matches. I did other things, too, like exercising more, and it worked. But I'd still get cravings, especially on long car rides. To help me with that, I put a picture of my mother in my car. She died of lung cancer from smoking cigarettes when I was only 16. Now I have a 16-year-old daughter. That picture of my mother reminds me that I don't want to miss all the things my daughter is going to do in her life, including turning 17. You can quit. For free help, call 1-800-QUIT-NOW. A message from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and CDC.